You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. We watched every movie last year. We rated every kiss and every tear. We saw Tom Cruise sucking blood. Meg Ryan hit the booze. We saw 13 with you, Matt. And 7 by John Hughes. The critic is a mystery. No one knows why he thinks. Except for Jay Sherman. Who always says... It stinks! <gasps> <laughs> How awkward. Hello and welcome to Shermometer Critiquing the Critic, a limited run unofficial podcast looking at the acclaimed 90s series, The Critic. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. Hello, <laughs> listeners. Oh, we've got a good one tonight. Definitely. We're talking about season one, episode three, Marty's First Date. And I want to give a special thanks to Sean Franson, very special thanks to Peter Monks. Uh, those were individuals that contributed to our uh, Indiegogo campaign, which helped to uh, raise money to, to make this podcast possible. So thanks again to you two fellas. And uh, yeah, you know, last week we talked about the, the, the episode Miserable, which was a, a, a takeoff on Stephen King's Misery. And this one, Marty's First Date, it's about um, Marty, Jay Sherman's son, and more about the relationship between the two of them and what makes them similar where it makes them different. I mean, I think this is a pretty good, pretty solid episode. Now, also, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't this the first episode that actually aired? No, the first episode that aired was the pilot, but then this was the second episode that aired. Oh, right, because I remember this is this is one of my earliest memories of The Critic was this episode. Yeah, originally Miserable, which is the one we did last week, we're going off the order on the DVD set. Um, was delayed until like the fourth or fifth episode or something like that. Um, so there you have it. But yeah, I mean, it it opens with the Gene Shalit joke as the opening gag on the answering machine with the real Gene Shalit. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, who has been retired since I think uh, 2010. I was reading. Well, he had a good run. Yeah, he's still alive though. He's still out there. Um, and, yeah, so what comes to mind when uh, you think of this episode, then? Uh, a lot of really good rapid-fire gags, but in addition to being to being a good story, uh, I think this episode also has some of the best visuals of the first season. When they get to Cuba? Well, actually, in general, uh, it, it has one of my... Uh, just something that happens early on when uh, Jay goes to pick his son, Marty, up from his ex-wife's apartment. We get this great visual gag where... Uh, we see her, the doorbell rings, she looks through the peephole and sees this grotesquely foreshortened image of Jay Sherman, and she gives that classic, Gah! then she opens the door, and Jay Sherman looks like his foreshortened image. Yeah, that's a nice joke. Um, I, I would like to mention this episode was directed by Alan Smart and written by Tom Gamble and Max Prost, uh-huh. yeah, for what it's worth. So, yeah, it's... um, You know, when I think of the episode... I just think of all, all the funny stuff with Marty, because you did have Marty, uh, who's voiced by uh, Christine Cavanaugh, um, in the pilot of The Critic. You had Jay's son, but he wasn't like a huge part of it. And this episode gives Marty a chance to, to shine. 
And there's just a nice sweetness to the way uh, the late Christian Kavanaugh voices the character. Well, and I really, I really do like the relationship between Jay Sherman and Marty. And I think, I think the thing that I love the most about the relationship is that Marty does have this real adventurous spirit and a lot of untapped confidence that he doesn't know he has. But Jay Sherman has enough neuroses for the both of them. Right, and it's also not like uh, the son is too cool for the dad and treating him like shit or thinks that he's lame. Like, there's a nice sweetness, I think, in their relationship. Um. Which is nice to see, you know, it's sort of the opposite of Bart Simpson, right? Where instead of a son that's a rebel, um, well, Marty, I think, is sort of like a excited, more like an excited puppy or something. You know, well, it, it's a real overused thing in sitcoms where there's always a forced, uh, cantankerous and, and snarky uh, relationship between a father character and a son character. And I, that's one of the things that is so refreshing about the critic even today is that they do the characters do truly care about each other and they don't want to hurt each other. <laughs> The jo- their jokes don't require them to shoot barbs into each other. Right. Um, you mentioned um, in the beginning of the episode, Jay visits his ex-wife to get Marty for the weekend. And um, there's a, a flashback to how Jay and his wife met when uh, she was a nurse and he's like all bandaged up. And she's like, I can't believe I fell in love with a man whose face I've never seen. And whose voice I've never heard. <laughs> whose voice I've never heard. And they um it, they they film it like a, a takeoff of the Joker in the nineteen eighty nine Batman film. Well, when he finally gets the bandages off, yeah, yeah. When, when they do the bandages off, he can, and then she starts like screaming. Um, <laughs> I I do like that we never see a pleasant memory whenever <laughs> Jay flashes back to his marriage to, to Arliss. Yeah, I don't recall if it's this episode, but one of the episodes, of the critic, um, it has the opening gag where. It's a billboard outside of his window, and it says like amount of alimony owed. Actually, that was that keeps on. That was in miserable. Up. Was it a miserable? Okay, so that was just last week's. Yeah, she um, I put up a billboard, and you get to see that alimony counter. There's so, another Woody Allen joke in this one. Yeah, we get uh, at, at the very early one of the the first big set pieces. Uh, it's career day at uh, Marty School, which is the U- United Nations School. Uh, and as they're entering, uh, they bump into Woody Allen, and they never they never refer to him by name, which maybe they couldn't for legal reasons because this was still more like it was still more rumor at the time. Was, oh, and if it isn't my favorite neurotic New York Jewish comedian. But but it's obvious it's Woody Allen. Oh it's yeah like, yeah, and he's got a Sun-Yi, he's got a woman named Sunyi with him. He's like, "Are uh, you here for career day too? Career day? I thought this was the prom." And then he falls into a manhole, and then he after he jiggering goes... off to like clarinet music. <laughs> and then Jay Sherman says, "Glad he's getting back into physical shtick." Which which is so great, and and frankly, that's that's a gag. I mean, that that is a perfect classic early Woody Allen physical gag. But that almost seems like the kind of self referential bit that Woody Allen would put into one of his own movies. I mean, I think of the line from what is it, Stardust Memories, where they're, they're talking about Woody Allen's character who he play he plays a director, and they say, "I like it better when he did his earlier funnier ones." Um, <laughs> yeah. Is a famous line in, in that film. Um, you get a, a lovely joke with um, Jay getting kicked in the balls as a child. Oh yeah, when he when he's attending that uh, New it's York like School for the Performing yeah, Arts, as seen uh-huh. in the movie Fame. And, and he's trying to review the Nutcracker Suite, and well, then the 
Well, here's, uh, he, he wrote a negative scathing review of the school's Christmas pageant. I still say it was ho-ho horrible. But then he gets kicked in the balls to the tune of... Um, the Nutcracker Suite. The, Nutcracker the Sugar Suite. Plum Fairy, I think it yeah. was the actual ow, ow, tune. Ow, 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 ow. Yeah. That's good. Well, there, there's a lot of... This goes back to those rapid-fire gags. You really don't have a moment to... Once they get to the school, you don't have a moment to to relax between jokes. Uh, I love that bit where there's that Libyan dictator uh, and all of the Libyan dictator's remarks were things that Jay Sherman was going to say in his speech. Let's talk about the um, the school a bit, because that becomes something you see in later episodes. Yeah, that's true. The United Nations school, and I feel like the, o- the only reason this school exists is so they could do a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, you know, in, in international jokes, which I mean does work, but I also just love the the notion of a, uni- a United Nations international school in New York. Like you have a student that the head is like an Easter Island head, who actually I don't believe has been introduced on the series yet. Maybe not, but that's in a, I'm thinking of a different episode. But, he, um, he he will become a cornerstone of the show. Literally, yes. Da 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 da. Boing. <laughs> But it, it's nice that you get all the different nationalities at the school. It could have just been like a, a rundown city school and that it's a United Nations styled school. Yeah, they uh, really go for the least obvious school for Marty that they could come up with. That's right. And it, it makes you wonder, like, uh, how can they afford it? Is that a public school? I mean, it looks like a private school to me with all the different. Well, um, I believe it is people pr- going there. I believe it is private because it even says on their motto is teaching tolerance and brotherhood to those who can afford it. Right. So, I mean, you know, I don't think as a film critic, Jay Sherman makes that much. But then again, look at his apartment. Well, no, remember in the first episode, they, they dictate how much he makes. How much was that again? It was, a, it was like 270000 oh, a year. That seems high. Well, I mean, he uh, is on a national he is on a nationally broadcast uh, cable television access. critic. And plus, yeah. you know, he writes. I'm sure he collects speaking fees. Sure. You know, probably has a book, some book. Well, he does have books because of the buy my book. Yeah, things I do in the dark. That's right. And then there's uh but I th- this is actually something that we might have to want to talk to to some people about uh, at some point. But do you think uh, do you think that it was always part of the show's concept that Marty was going to go to this international UN school, or did they come up with the idea of the international food fight first and then work this in to justify it, and it just stuck around as part of the show? Because the um, international food fight is such a brilliant. Uh, scene loaded with so many gags. I don't know. I, I'd almost guess the the latter, uh, not the former. But um, yeah, this episode doesn't have a commentary, and, and I it's possible they mentioned that on, on one of the other uh, audio commentaries. But I don't know. That that's a very good question. Um, but yeah, I mean the jokes really start coming on thick when um, it's career day and. You know, Jay Sherman is, uh, and they're in the cafeteria. I like, it. or he, no, Jay Sherman is during the presentation, and a Tahitian student says, "In my country, you bear an odd resemblance to Boombar, god of flatulence." Oh, and then there's the the student from uh, from from Mexico. Uh, your behavior frightens us. So when your show airs, they play a disclaimer saying that you were an escaped mental patient, <laughs> which comes back later in the show. <laughs> That's right. It does. Um, I mean, even there's a nice bit of... You mentioned the animation in this episode. There's a nice bit of animation where uh, 
it, this episode is kind of about a romantic interest between Marty and Carmen, who's a girl from Cuba that goes to the school. And uh, her glasses keep on falling down, and she keeps on having to push it up. And that becomes a plot point later on. Which I, I really enjoyed. That That's some good storytelling in this episode. Definitely. Um, I think my line of the show might be where Jay Sherman is with Marty, and he's pointing out how everyone is looking at him and getting nervous. And uh, this lady picks up a phone and she says, uh, I don't think it's a man. I think it's a bear that likes key lime pie. <laughs> yes. That woman thinks I'm hideous. That woman thinks I'm Bigfoot. That woman is wondering whether or not she should call the police. <laughs> but the international food fight, what makes that work is such a good sequence. Well, I mean, partly it's because you do get a lot of cheap jokes about different national identities. But the thing that I really, really love about it uh, is that not only do we get to see Marty be a hero as he catches all the food headed for Carmen with his mouth, but we also get all these creative ways that the children use food. Uh, there's, you know, there's a bunch of kids with shish kebab who like use the shish kebab like catapults. Uh, the uh, Japanese kids uh, f- pick up uh, their sushi with chopsticks. Uh, and, and it's all based around a conflict between Israeli. Was it, it was a group of Israeli children and a group of Libyan children or, or uh, I believe that's right. Uh, um, about, about trading hummus and falafels. And the, the French, uh, Students surrender. Yeah, meatball bounces off the French student's head, and they all go, we surrender! Which, uh, is, which is the cheapest French joke you can do, but they do it so well. Right. I mean, it's a very madcap, uh, zany sequence. Uh, and then we also get one of yeah. my favorite running gags, which is Jay Sherman singing a stupid song as he pulls food out of the air. Well, he does that a few times, because he also... Um, uh, Jay accompanies Marty and Carmen on their date, and, and they go to see the Red Balloon 2, oh, which I think yes. you mentioned in our first episode is one of your favorite um, mag- uh, things on the critic. Yes. And, and he... Jay sings, I like French films, pretentious, boring French films. I like French films, three tickets, see vous play. And then there's that guy that keeps <laughs> punching him. Yeah. Ow. Which actually, uh, so going back to this episode being a visual feast, uh, in the run-up to finding out that there's a Red Balloon film playing at the movie theater, uh, Jay Sherman keeps ranting about uh, you know recycled premises from the Hollywood cookie cutter. And we see all these posters for movies uh, such as Family Feud, the movie, or my favorite, MASH, the movie of the TV show, not the actual movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's... Um... Remember with MASH, they had a TV show, not just MASH, but they had After MASH? Yes, they had After MASH. And didn't... Uh, it got another spinoff, too, right? Yeah, um, like if one of them was like a veterinarian or something. Yeah, I don't recall the name. Or but, Trapper uh, John MD. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Trapper John MD. Um, uh, there's a great joke when they're in the theater before the movie even starts, where it, it's like the, you know, and now your feature presentation. And it has... Like a reel of film and a little and a, a big piece gets sucked in by the projector and a little piece of film comes out of the canister and cries out, Daddy? Oh, God, and that child's voice that they're doing sounds so pitiful. Yeah. It... <laughs> Which that was, as I recall, that was an, an a, a actual little uh, 
promo reel that used to play in uh, I, I don't know if it was Republic Cinemas or, or Regal, hmm. but where they had a tap dancing strip of film and then eventually the, a tap dancing strip of film, Junior. Funny. Although, actually, this scene also gives us some of uh, the critics' uh, Jewish humor where uh, Marty, before the film, is trying to entertain Carmen, and he uses his box of junior mints as a whistle. And it makes her laugh. She goes, oh, I I learned that from my dad. And then we see Jay Sherman coming down the aisle playing Hava Nagila on candy boxes. And there's there's a, a Hasidic Jew who's clapping along and really enjoying the music. Yeah, it's a very, very funny... Sequence. Um, it's nice. You you feel a bit bad with um, Marty and Carmen because the date doesn't really go well. Then they get mugged. Yeah, yeah, right. Then they get the car gets stolen. They get mugged. Which they actually set up earlier that Carmen has been trained in self defense and can kill a can kill a man or disable a man with a Q tip, which she doesn't do. But that's because they didn't have Q tips. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but what's funny is Jay is giving his son advice. He's like, you know, you need to give her a gift, something she'll like. Well, something then, she needs but doesn't yeah, something know she needs. She needs but doesn't know she needs. And then Marty imagines getting her weather stripping from the store. <laughs> it's like so banal. But Well, I think it's because like weather stripping, it's the most boring but also most hilariously named home improvement technology. But also, her glasses do slip off during that fantasy, so that's what gives him the idea mm, of getting her a special right. clip for her glasses so they don't slide down. And you get a big sequence where they go to the airport, and he has to, you know, cha- this is before 9-11, so you could sort of, you know, go through security, and there was, it's not a big of a deal. Um, well, Marty does have to sneak in, though, by, oh, by hiding does, in yes. a cello case. That's right. Which means there's a Cuban cellist uh, that uh, doesn't have an instrument. But on the other hand, a bum gets the cello, right? And becomes like a big success. Oh, yeah, that's a running gag. <laughs> Eventually, there's a sold-out bum performance at Carnegie Hall. Or Carnegie Hall, depending on where you're from. Is it really a different pronunciation, depending on where you are? Uh, well, lots of, people pronounce, lots of people pronounce it Carnegie, and lots of people, including the announcers on NPR, pronounce it Carnegie. Uh, and both sides believe that they are right uh, and will be very, very cross with you if you disagree with them on pronunciation. Interesting. That's why I pronounce it Carnegie, and I turn the whole world against me. Well, you tend to do that, Thrasher. Uh, Indeed, I do. The world knows what it did. One of my favorite characters in The Critic is the father, because it's just all these non-secretors that don't make a lot of sense. Oh, Franklin and, Sherman, yes. Yeah, and Franklin Sherman. At one point in this episode, he says, I remember my first date. And it's this crazy, like, 1920s cartoon <laughs> land. Oh, yeah, and there's, like, this Spike Jones-style music playing. <laughs> uh-huh, but, like, the animation's, like, it's really loose. I mean, it, it's more... Uh, it feels more like Cool World than like Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something. Like well, it's this real disturbing stretch and squash. Well, it has a real uh, Fleischer Bob Clampett feel. Yeah, like more. Yeah, more Betty Boop than um, yeah than Warner Brothers or something. That's... Yeah, and, and the backgrounds in that scene are positively Seussian. Although you want to know what's a, a nice uh, a nice reference? Have you ever seen the classic Warner Brothers cartoon Porky and Wacky Land? Yes. 
which is this you know great over the top cartoon where the it's it's one of the few appearances of the Warner Brothers dodo and there's all sorts of bizarre creatures that show up in there one of the creatures is this thing called the three-headed goon which is this three-headed muscle man that fights with himself the three-headed goon uh is in the background fighting himself during Franklin's memory of his first date Hello, my name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm inviting you to listen to Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast where myself and two of my very best gaming chums are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. For all the episodes and information, check out our website, www.our3cents.co.uk. Hi, we're Ellen, Stephen, and Mark, hosts of Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Topics include programming, design, tools, and more. We also do interviews and one-hour game jams. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get to your wherever you get to your podcast. You get there, <laughs> or at nicegames.club. So, what do you think about the the climax of this episode, where Jay, uh, Jay and his family are watching the TV, and they see uh, Marty is in Cuba for like the anti-American parade. Yeah, the anti-Fourth of July parade yeah. with Cuba's mascot, Auntie America. Auntie America. And here she is pushing over Uncle Sam. I overall overall I, I I like it, but I like that they don't uh I like that Jay doesn't make it out of this episode unscathed because uh Marty, you know, successfully gives his gift and he has he gets his first kiss with Carmen and then Carmen kisses him back and it's really sweet and romantic. I love the way it's executed. I love the fireworks and just there's a lot of care taken to the animation of how the characters move during that first kiss scene. Uh and then uh we get Jay uh accidentally insults uh Carmen's grandfather, who happens to be Fidel Castro, <laughs> and it ends with Jay Sherman in front of a firing squad, with Castro giving the firing squad instructions to shoot to wound. And even just to get to Cuba, he marries a woman. Yes, he marries a Mexican citizen so that uh, they can fly, uh, so that he can fly into Cuba, getting around the uh, the travel embargo uh, that was there at the time. Uh, and it's really great. It's like I plan to divorce your father and take half his money. Yeah, she's a lot like your first. Your, she's a lot like your your mother. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most open and honest relationship I've ever had. Which actually, this is kind of prescient because we're recording this episode uh, as uh, President Barack Obama is in Cuba attempting to normalize relations between the United States and that particular nation. Uh, yeah, as it happens to be, that is absolutely true. No particular commentary. It's just one of those one of those delightful coincidences. Right. And, um, yeah, you know, I'll be curious if, if their relationships, uh, you know, continue to improve, if Cuba will be sort of like the um, Las Vegas kind of resort place it was or not. It, we'll it might see. happen. Uh, I guess, you know, we'll we'll have to see whether that happens or whether we get another good day in the life of Che Guevara. Yeah, no, there could be a, a revolution and, and all these things. So that, That's actually just a, I wanted to mention that film parody. <laughs> ah. So I think we've done a good job talking about this episode. Anything else come to mind? Well, just one of my other uh, favorite gags. There's a running gag where Marty keeps imagining Jay Sherman's head in a bubble, giving him advice, and they run through a whole bunch of bubble gags. But my favorite one is when he's in when he's in Cuba and Marty walks away from the bubble, and <laughs> the, the Jay Sherman in the bubble hangs around to con- to continue grousing about how sad his life is. Then goes, "Ooh, fried bananas!" and glides away. <laughs> opening and closing his mouth like Pac-Man and they play the little Pac-Man arcade jingle 
I as as an old timey video gamer, I really really enjoyed that joke. I believe they do that episode and that joke in later episodes as well because I seem to recall a, a um, Michael Dukakis. Uh, yes, I was the son of Greek How, immigrants. Can you believe I'm losing to this guy? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that when we hit those episodes. Exactly. Well, I don't know. Any any other uh, last things from this episode for you to talk about? Mm. Oh, actually, um, we've mentioned this before about gags that just keep going. That bit where the uh, during the career day when that German artist, when Jay erases this huge mural he's drawn on the board and the artist throws himself out the window uh, and then he lands on a topiary and the topiary cutter jumps off a balcony and then lands in uh, the cement. This guy is is smoothing and the guy who's smoothing the cement just doesn't care. <laughs> He's like, eh. Yeah, eh. Yeah. Ah, my fuck. Ah, my woik. Meh. Meh. I love That's those gags pretty... that just go for an extra beat. That's a good joke. You know, I I like, um, there's a visual gag in the beginning where Jay is, is pleased with himself and he's going through town. He's singing Macho Man. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he sees there's this uh, banner and it used to be a um, a suntan lotion banner. But they're replacing like the the head with um, Jay Sherman, and so it's like Jay Sherman's big head on top of the the little girl's uh, bottom and legs with the butt exposed. Oh yeah, it's based on the old Coppertone ad. That's right, Coppertone. And it's like Jay Sherman now with new pleasing aroma. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you. It's a, a pretty good sight gag there. Yeah, Jay Sherman has plenty of his uh, sad sack moments in this, which I enjoy. Right, but uh, unlike you know the last episode, this one the the pacing is much better. They don't take forever to set up the premise. Um, you have a lot more with his family, which I think is always a good thing. The uh, you know last week's uh, episode we talked about miserable. It's just him being unconscious or kidnapped or separated from people, and part of the the joys of the critic is seeing how Jay Sherman interacts with others. And how he himself is a driving force for most of the stories. Yeah, that too. Um, which you can't really do in a story when he's kidnapped. Um, in case you didn't get it, I don't like the episode we did last week. But... <laughs> That's in the past. Yeah, it's in the past. Talk about the present. Okay, now let's move on to a section. What the hell are they doing? Talking about some recent stuff um, people that worked on The Critic are, are working <laughs> on. Uh, I found myself uh, listening to Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Oh, yes, that's a good show. And a few years ago, they talked to Mike Rice, who's the co-creator of The Critic, along with Al Jean. And um, they mentioned that he did a TV movie called How Murray Saved Christmas in 2014. That's an animated special, and it features a lot of voices from people that were on The Critic, such as Nick Jameson, Maurice LaMarche, and Tress McNeil. It's based off a book that uh, Mike Rice uh, wrote. He's written a lot of children's books, and this is um, this is one of them. It's been adapted into a, a t- animated TV special, but um, I just thought that was pretty amusing how he brought a lot of people that worked on the critic to do the voices for this one. Have you ever seen it? No, regrettably, I haven't. Well, it looks uh, Jerry Stiller voices the title character. It looks uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Mm. I would recommend check that out even though I haven't seen it, but that's something I, I noticed recently. 
well, somewhat recently. I guess it's 2014. Oh, well. Um, okay, how about uh, let's go on to It Stinks, where we talk about a movie that we've seen lately. Uh, Thrasher, what is something uh, you've seen? Uh, well, I saw uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, so that that's a sequel to Cloverfield. Well, let, let me let me first give you my capsule review. The first act is very good. The second act is perfect. The third act, the whole thing falls apart. It's a very enjoyable movie. It is very worth seeing, but there is absolutely no reason why this has to be saddled with Cloverfield. And I have now lost all patience with J.J. Abrams and his puzzle boxes uh, and his playing coy with what movies he's actually making or producing or, or what have you. So what did you think of the original uh, Cloverfield? I overall overall I enjoyed it. I don't I left the theater not really having any desire to see it again, but I I thought it was worth my 8 bucks. I did have a good time at seeing that movie. And I did enjoy I did like the fact that it was a kaiju movie where they don't bother to explain the kaiju. It's just a force of nature and it's all about people without scientific backgrounds having to deal with this giant monster. I really liked that a street level giant monster movie. I've heard in this new one that John Goodman is really good. Oh, he is amazing. It is a phenomenal performance uh, from John Goodman. So I have not seen the original. Could I walk into the sequel and be okay with it? Or yes, there, there is absolutely nothing connecting this movie to the first movie in any way whatsoever, except that they slapped Cloverfield on the title. Uh, and what's really what's really shitty about it is that there's a shot, uh, and this is actually the point where the movie does go downhill. There's a shot of a mailbox with the address 10 Cloverfield Lane on it as the movie transitions from second to third act. Uh, and it's a completely pornographic shot. It lingers on it so long, it's like it's expecting you to not know what movie you paid to see and go, wait, this has something to do with Cloverfield? <laughs> hmm. So, would you want to see a Cloverfield 3, I guess? Uh, not, well, if there's a really good performance in it, maybe, but I... I really don't like the idea. I have enough I have enough problems with bad sequels. This this movie could stand on its own. It does not have to have the Cloverfield brand attached to it, which I guess is now a brand. Uh if they did a third one, presumably it would be a third movie that has nothing to do with the previous two. It would just it would be it would have USS Cloverfield or something uh stamped on it and it would involve a boat somehow. Um but I guess that's the thing. The, the The main thing that really bothers me about this movie is that I, I feel that it is hurt by being uh, attached to Cloverfield. It does not need to be. Hmm. So had it just been divorced from that franchise, you would have liked it better. I, I, yes, I think so. I mean, it's, as I said, the the first two acts are amazing, but if in the end the movie the movie does unravel, it does overstay its welcome, uh, and it doesn't have to be connected to this giant monster movie. I see. So something that I saw was. Red Balloon Pee-wee's... 2, Revenge of the Balloon? No, no, no. I saw Pee-wee's Big Holiday. Oh, I've been meaning to see that. I'm probably not going to get a chance to see it till this weekend. Yeah, so it's a 
a new Pee Wee Herman movie that Netflix financed. You could uh, see it streaming on Netflix. Um, it's only streaming at the moment. You know, it just uh, came out a few days ago. Uh, directed by John Lee, who worked on such shows as uh, Wondershausen. And I I came in with, you know, sort of nervous expectations because I enjoy Pee Wee's Big Adventure very much. And uh, I have never seen Big Top Pee Wee for some reason. Big Top Pee Wee has its, it's not as good as Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but it does have its moments. It is an entertaining film. Yeah, so um, I was nervous going into this one, and I think for the most part, this new one works. I won't really spoil it because it's pretty new, and, and you haven't seen it, Thrasher, and, and I'm sure our listeners might not have seen it either. Well, is it possible to spoil a Pee Wee Herman movie? Um, I guess not. I'll just say that it it's it's surreal. It keeps the surrealism and uh, the the suburban sort of setting at least for some of it that was in that that first film and it's also kind of like a road trip movie um one thing i didn't think was that great about it is uh there's a lot of dream sequences and the dream sequences have peewee herman and another character jumping up and down and laughing speaking spanish and their voices are slowed down really slowly (laughs) and i didn't think that was funny either of like the four times they do it. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a minor quibble. You know, it's, it's certainly not a movie you watch for plot. It's sort of these self-contained vignettes that, Oh, he goes to this place and Oh, he goes to this place, but he's trying to reach um, New York city to go to a friend's birthday party. And um, I think it could have used some more cameos. Like I guess I was reading the budget on this was like 30 million or something. And Netflix was the only people that would put money up for it. But what oh, I really? thought was, yeah, and uh, and what I thought was really interesting is Paul Rubens, uh, the guy that plays Pee Wee Herman, has been trying to get a, a Pee Wee Herman movie made for you know decades now, and he had two complete screenplays written that he'd worked on over the years, and they decided to go with a new concept for this one. And um, but he, in an interview, Paul Rubens expressed a, a desire to want to. Um, you know, maybe do another Netflix movie if this one does well. And what defines a success on Netflix? I don't really know um, how they do that stuff, but I, I would like to see more Pee Wee. I think it's you know, parts of it are a bit perverse, but I still think it's overall appropriate for children. Um, I think you're kind of working on two levels, which is sort of the point of it. And I would recommend Pee Wee's Big Holiday. I do think, though, that. The title, Big Holiday, is pretty strange because Pee Wee Herman is American. Why couldn't you call it Pee Wee's Big Vacation? Uh, too too close to other vacation movies, maybe? Maybe. I mean, I think of like, you know, you have Mr. Bean's Holiday, like that was a movie in that, but that's out of England. I just don't, I don't know. It's like Holiday is not used really to mean vacation in the United States. And it's such a weird... It just strikes me as wrong. I don't. That, that might <laughs> it, be intentional, it though, to, to use a to use a a word that doesn't quite jive with the normal American way of speaking. Yeah, and um, Paul Rubens has aged. Uh, you know, it looks almost the same really over the years. I did read they used some CG stuff to take out some of the wrinkles, um, but yeah, it it's Pee Wee is still Pee Wee. They didn't make Pee Wee unrecognizable. 
Um, and just wait until you hear Pee Wee scream. Does he scream real loud? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. He has a, it's 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 a different sort of scream. I don't think we've heard from Pee Wee before, but it, it's obnoxious, and they know the sound is obnoxious, <laughs> and sometimes they keep it going for a solid minute. Um, and yeah, so that's long story short, Pee Wee's Big Holiday. If you have Netflix, uh, you can watch it in Netflix uh, in the United States at least uh, streaming. So so check it out. I just might. Now let's go to the the final segment. This is a new segment we've talked about off mic thrasher. Ah, uh, um, yes, buy my book. And uh, can you explain what this is? Uh, this is where we hype things. This is where we try to sell things. This is where we promote uh, our work, our hopes, our dreams, all, all those wonderful things. And we encourage you, the listener, to buy my book. So uh, go for it. All right. Well, I might as well uh, uh, do this uh, literally. Uh, my uh, book uh, – well, it's not purely my book. It's a collaboration with a Canadian author and game designer, Clint Staples. Uh, 100 Oddities for a Wizard's Tower. It's available on drivethroughrpg.com and a number of other uh, websites. Onebookshelf.com is another uh, option if you prefer to buy it from there. It's a, If you're into tabletop role-playing games, it's a book of random objects, encounters, plot hooks, and NPCs, uh, all themed for a wizard's tower and the main reason i bring it up is i wanted to have an actual book to hype on the first uh, segment of buy my book and also it just became a silver bestseller on drive rpg.com so that's a nice uh, feather in our caps and what's the best way people can get that uh check out a uh, drive rpg.com or uh one bookshelf.com just search for 100 oddities for a wizard's tower or just look for william t thrasher and it should be one of the first uh, products that comes up very good. Um, as for me, you can follow, um, learn about the show uh, on Twitter at Critic Podcast. We also have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Critic Podcast. And uh, I, I recently started a Patreon, you know, to see if I can get people to, to contribute on a monthly basis to help me do podcasts and stuff. You can check that out at patreon.com slash M-A-T-W-B-T. Patreon.com slash M-A-T-W-B-T. And where can we find you on Twitter? Um, I'm at M-A-T-W-B-T. And I am at Internet Mayor. So next week, what are we going to talk about? Well, next week, I believe we're going to be talking about episode four of The Critic. No, that's not correct. Oh, my gosh. Madre de Dios. We're going to do a a special episode, um, as as promised. We're going to do a special episode after three normal episodes, right? If you can call this normal, hey-oh. hey So, um, we are going to take a look at John Lovitz. Well, well, well. Finally, a tribute episode worthy of me. Yes, we're going to, you know, give a, a broad overview of John Lovitz's career from his start on Saturday Night Live to his um, current day random appearances on um, commercials and, and TV. Well, anytime he appears on TV, it might as well be a commercial, but we'll talk about that uh, when we get to that episode. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. We used to do episodes like this back on the sequel cast or old podcast, and, um, it, it, you know, to give you a nice little little break between us talking about episode by episode about the critic. Um, 
So we'll do, we'll do a deep dive on John Lovitz next week. And then the week after, we will do cover season one, episode four. A New Hope. Not A New Hope. It's of the critic. Uh, it'll be um, Dial M for Mother. Ooh, a classic. With a very special, special guest. That's right. The specialists of guests. Very good. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. For Shermometer Critiquing Critiquing, this is Matt. And this is William T. Thrasher. Saying, Sir, the show's over. You're going to have to leave the theater. Still no comebacks? Nope. (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) book. Oh, right. Or the... What, the one guy's dad is an artist and he does this big thing <laughs> on the chalkboard? We just recapped that joke about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>